This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. It is episode 62 of the Equalizer podcast, and believe it or not, it is the last one before the kickoff of the 2019 World Cup. I'm Dan Lawletta. Chelsea Bush is here doing the pod with me this weekend, and we'll get into a little bit of World Cup talk as we go along, but we are recording as usual on the heels of another NWSL weekend. I think you just said it when we were talking off air, weird weekend kind of to be expected because so many of the best players are not around but i think even beyond that there's a lot of unusual things going on in this league aren't there yeah for sure the performances we saw this weekend and i'm particularly thinking of utah and chicago were were absolutely not what i expected whatsoever from those teams so which where do you want to start? Because you know, we talked for a long time about Utah. They were physical, physical, physical. And then it was almost like the league said, guys, by the way, Lola Bonta is suspended and please stop hacking everyone. So they decided they wouldn't play any defense at all. Then you have the Red Stars who had their best opportunity in years to end this six-year thing against Portland. And for the first 30 minutes, they looked completely overwhelmed by the thorns, by the atmosphere at Providence Park, and that's on the heels of a pretty dull effort against Washington last weekend. So which is more alarming? Um, I mean, I, I was not a fan of the, the Royals hacking at people because I did think they were deliberately pushing the envelope to see how much they could get away with before they, they got called on it. And I actually thought a lo- several of the officials were calling games pretty tightly this weekend, so I kind of wonder if that maybe that was a league-wide thing after those kind of spate of this couple of red cards and then the suspension where they kind of deliberately tightened down. Um, but for me, I think the more, more alarming thing is, is how poorly the red, the red stars just might as well not have, have shown up for that first 45 minutes in Portland. Yeah, I think I agree with that. They leveled off a little bit like for the first maybe half hour of the second half. But can, if you look at the lineups, the red stars should have been a heavy favorite in that match. And yeah, you'd expect the Thorns to come out jumping a little bit for the first 10 minutes. Biggest crowd ever for a home opener. You know, they've been waiting a long time to get back and play. I would assume they at least were watching the game last night when the Timbers sold the place out 25,000 plus. But, I mean, the Red Stars looked completely overwhelmed by the whole thing. Yeah, it was always going to be hard to come into Portland in this game and, and get a good result. I mean, it's hard, always hard to come to Portland at any point in time and get a result, particularly when they, they've been away for so long. But they just, they looked they looked lost. And even in the second half, when I thought they picked up things a little bit, they weren't getting quite as overrun. I never, for very few times, I really thought they were going to score. They were they were moving the ball down the pitch, and they were getting crosses off. But Bird Eckerstrom was doing a very good job of, of collecting those crosses. And there wasn't anyone really on the end of it. I, I really didn't think um, we saw much from either 
Katie Johnson, Michelle Vasconcelos, I think that the wide players were doing a little bit more work. I thought Nagasato was doing some work. I thought Aaron Wright brought a lot of energy up the pitch when she was moved higher. But I never really was on the, the edge of like, oh, they're, they're, they're going to score. There's no way this game is going to, to end without them scoring. And now they haven't scored in two weeks, both weeks without Sam Kerr. I mean, Kerr is a player who's 100% capable of taking the game on her shoulders and changing it. But the roster is good enough that they shouldn't be that reliant on her. And I didn't think they were this year the way they were playing. I thought she was scoring a lot, obviously, but they weren't she wasn't the only one doing work and it's like once she left she took that work effort with her yeah i didn't i don't feel like they're not scoring because she's not there like i they're they're playing lousy soccer and their roster is pretty good even without her and even without Ertz. i mean that's a really good starting 11 that did not show up against the thorns team that was starting elizabeth ball and simone charlie who was fantastic in the match but she's a player that never saw you know, inside the white lines during an NWSL game until a week ago, and she was tearing the Red Stars apart. That just shouldn't happen. Yeah, I think that first 45 minutes was probably the worst Red Stars defense that I've seen, and and I can't remember how long. And they've got three out of their four, you know, first-choice defenders, and you can argue that Sarah Gordon's spent a lot of time back there, even if she maybe isn't their quote-unquote first choice. Um but, but to kind of switch it to the Thorns a little bit, I, I was very impressed with kind of a burgeoning partnership between Simone Charlie and Midge Purse because those two goals that they scored together were not the only chances they created. No. And I found myself watching this game, and I'm like, remember when Purse was an outside back? I'm <laughs> glad that's over. <laughs> yeah, story of uh, U.S. national team call-ups, I think. Indeed. But, yeah, I mean, they were, they were fantastic. And Caitlin Best wrote a story for us this past week about Simone Charlie. So she didn't just come out of nowhere. She's been training with the team since the start of 2018. So maybe that's where their kind of on-field relationship came from. But that's still pretty remarkable for two players that have not played in matches together to be that on form when you just throw them out there. And I, this is, I think they said this is Persa's first start. I know she scored the goal last week, but Persa's not exactly someone that's on the field a lot either. I thought yeah, it was exactly. Great. I do too. I think players like Charlie, players like Bethany Balser, those are kind of the great stories that are coming out of the NWSL this year. And we knew that maybe some unlikely players would get attention with so many national teamers gone. But I don't think we expected players to come out quite from as deep in the woodworks as, as some of these players have. They're not you're talking about draftees, you know, or even uh, you know, trialists that were signed. Like these players are coming from from pretty deep. And I, I can remember I was at the game in 2016 when the Thorns clinched the Shield. And I remember asking Mark Parsons about the stretch during the Olympics when they lost a lot of players. And they didn't play as well as they did the rest of the season, but their record was respectable. Respectable, And he went and ripped off all the names of these players that contributed so much during the Olympic process. And, you know, one of them was Celeste Bure, who now is a starter or she didn't start in this game against the Red Stars, but she's a regular player now. And Kelly Hubley, who gets some minutes still, was in there. So we talk a lot about the Red Stars and their player development, but the Thorns, and, you know, it's probably a lot easier to hang out and train with the Thorns than most of the other teams in the league, but they still do a pretty good job. I thought this was a Mark Parsons special tonight because he really got a lot out of a lot of players. And we don't talk about him as one of the best coaches in the league, but I do think he's right there. 
Yeah, I agree. I think he does a good job at getting the best out of players and finding good players that fit in his system, which not I don't think we can say about every coach. So is it? I mean, I thought the Red Stars last week it kind of fit their profile because I never think that they handle success all that well. Just when you think they're ready to start taking over something, you whether it be a game or a stretch on their schedule or the league as a whole. They don't do it, but I'm really concerned about what went down at Providence Park in this one. I think there's a—I thought last year they weren't going to make the playoffs, and they proved me wrong. But I think there's a chance they could go the wrong way from here. Interesting. I don't know if I've ever really thought that they struggled with success that well, or maybe I've just not taken a a nuanced look at it like that. Um, I don't think you can count out any team that has— Sam Kerr she's just well that's she's true gonna give you points just by being on your team but it, it, yeah you look at like you look at the rain I don't think we've seen the best of the rain yet and if they they got Fishlock back I think they've automatically been better with her I think if they can get a healthy Megan Rapino back for the second half of the season that's going to benefit them so I think we, they just got to off to a very slow start I think Utah's struggled a bit you can't count them out yet they've obviously proven they can compete um i don't think you can ever count north carolina out just because of of who they are the they're they're worrying me a little bit even though they kind of won pretty emphatically over orlando it was orlando (laughs) Um, i think i said to somebody there's you're not allowed to take positives out of that match only only negatives (laughs) yeah you did say that um i'll give hamilton the hat trick she can get a positive for the hat trick. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you, you have Washington that is surprising people left and right. You have Houston that's still kind of hanging in that will-they-won't-they area. So, you know, if if Chicago drops enough points there in this period and other teams do do well, yeah, they, they may be too far behind the handle because they do have a habit, I think, of kind of sneaking in the playoffs at the last minute. Right. And, of course, when the standings are packed – like they are now, if you win two or three in a row or get seven out of nine points, you're probably going to move into the top four because somebody always has to be dropping points because there's not enough teams that, you know, everybody ahead of you can play somebody else. You talked about a lot of things, but let me get to Seattle for a minute. Let's do a little Seattle talk. They've had a weird season because I thought against the Dash, they at times looked like a typical Vlako Andonovsky team, knocking the ball around making a lot of good runs, you know, meaningful build-up possession, and then they give it up in the 90th minute on a great strike by Christine Nairn, who might be the best player the league's ever seen at shooting from outside the 18. But how good is Bethany Balser? And I don't just mean that she's got the three goals. She just looks like a really good soccer player. Whatever she's doing, she just does it confidently and looks like she knows exactly what she has to do and executes it. I've been unbelievably impressed with her. Yeah, it kind of makes you wonder what her development was in college that she went from, you know, not apparently getting not any real, you know, Division One attention to to this point. Um, yeah, I, I think you think you've hit on it with her. It's, it's her confidence. She plays. She doesn't play with nerves. She's willing to take a shot that may not be the perfect one, but she's going to see what she can make out of it. Um, I, I just, you know, you, you, you had the one today where she initially was that goal where she was initially called offside and they, they overruled it. 
But she, you know, there are some strikers in this league that would have stopped if they'd found themselves in that much space. Well, what's the breakaway percentage this year? It's not good. No. League-wide. No. Um, She just, like, doesn't, it doesn't, nothing phases her, it seems like. Um, Were you okay with the offside being taken back? Once I saw the explanation, I'd have to go back and watch a replay. But if if that's, you know, if if Pressock did play the ball, then yeah, that's fine. You know, I thought it was offside. I thought that it's a harsh call to overrule an assistant referee who has a much better line of sight. But if the defender played the ball deliberately, then that's the right, then they they made the correct call. And if you watch it, the ref should have the better line of sight on the touch because the AR would have been behind Pressock. And yeah. would have been, and it was a very subtle touch. But she did kick her leg out, so um, you know, yeah. obviously she didn't intentionally play Balser through, but uh, you know, she did intentionally make a play on the ball. And you know, I went to the referee camp a few years ago, and there was a long session about this. And I spoke to a lot of people about this, that if a defender intentionally makes a play on a ball, that wipes out offside. So I think they got it right. Yeah, I haven't, like I said, I haven't watched the replay, but if that explanation is correct, then yeah, absolutely. They, they did the right thing. I would hope that if if you're the center official overturning an assistant referee, then you, you would have a pretty good reason to do for something like that when that's kind of offsides kind of their gig, you know? Yeah, exactly. And it's one of those things where you want to really be sure about it. Like yeah, you don't absolutely. want to, you don't want to overturn it and, oh, maybe I got it wrong. Um. But speaking of of Fressock, she she made a couple of of rookie mistakes, I would call, but I think I was actually pleasantly surprised with her in this match. Yeah, she was pretty good. You know, I'm still not sold on Polkinghorne back there. So, I, you know, I think I'm open to maybe somebody else stepping in alongside Amber Brooks, who's like the, hey, let me play every week and be just good enough to get by. Because I thought Brooks was pretty good in this game also. I don't know, there's something about the dash, though, that's just not, not clicking where it should. Even though they're clearly better, but uh, there's something there or there's something not there, in my opinion. Well, I think in this match in particular, they were just overrun in the midfield. And I think that moving Haley Hansen up the pitch to, to play a more advanced role was the wrong call. I think she, she's much more settled deeper in the pitch, and I think she provides that cover on the back line that they've lacked in the past. So I like her deeper, and I don't I don't think they should have moved her high. So I, the, the rain were forcing turnovers left and right in the midfield but overall even when that's not an issue I still I I it's one thing to not be shut out in, in any match that's good but they should be producing more goals yeah they're they creating chances be. but they're not they're not finishing them at all and I don't know what their the ratio there is but they've got to have some sort of like Lynn Williams courage-esque efficiency <laughs> right now because well, it's terrible on that breakaway front there was the game against Sky Blue where Daly got in twice in about five minutes one of them they scored off the recycle but she completely I don't know what did I don't know what and didn't even get a real good shot off either time and I thought there was a play today where Ohi got the ball on the left side I think maybe Huerta found her and it looked like she maybe had a chance to like make an aggressive move toward the goal, but she kind of pulled back, which I don't necessarily think is Ohio's game. So a little bit hesitant. I like where to better out wide, but I, I, I'll be honest, I expected more from I me. Mean, we all thought she'd be the MVP when we did our preview show. So I think we all expected a little I expect more. more from, I expect more from both of them. I don't think Ohio's been, she's had the one good goal against Orlando, but I don't think she's been playing as free as she normally does. I'm not sure what's holding her back. Um, 
but yeah, they're, they're just not producing and in front of goal and they're not being ruthless and until they can do that. I think they're going to be stuck in sort of that mid table zone. Yeah, it seems that way. Um, I'm interested to see what Naren and Schmidt can do if they play them together on top of the back line for an extended period of time. Because I think they're both real good deep lying type midfielders. Let's uh, step out for a moment and we'll come back with more NWSL talk with Chelsea. I'm Dan on the Equalizer podcast. Episode 62, segment two, with a friendly reminder to please rate and review the Equalizer podcast. The better ratings and reviews you give us, the better content we can give back to you. So please rate and review the Equalizer podcast today. And also don't forget to sign up for Equalizer Extra if you are not already a subscriber of the World Cup. By the time you hear this, will be four days away. Hard to believe, Chelsea. I'm kind of in denial at this point, when I left Canada, it was like, oh, my goodness, four years. What am I going to do for four years? And now, all of a sudden, it's four days off. I can't believe it. Yeah, I don't feel like it's here yet. I think it's the first game's going to totally catch me by surprise because I just don't. People keep telling me it's less than a week away, and I'm like, no, you're lying. <laughs> it also feels like the U.S. doesn't play forever because they don't play to, what, the 11th? So it's yeah, like the, so that's what, five days, four yeah, days in between? The last or second to last match day. I'm not even sure they're going to be in France by Friday. I'm not sure what their schedule is. Someone who's listening probably knows, and I'm probably wrong, so probably shouldn't have gone there. Anyway, uh, more U.S. talking a bit, but um, back to the league. The courage got well, I guess, against Orlando. 3 nothing, nothing in the first half. Orlando still hasn't replied yet, meaning they've gone ahead one nothing twice. One game ended in a draw. The other game they lost. Every other game they've been shut out. Um, I don't, you saw more of this game than me. Courage mixed some things up. Zerboni came off with an injury, which hopefully wasn't too terrible. Also, uh, we talked about the Thorns. Angela Salem did go down in that game with a non-contact injury that didn't look great, never got up and was stretched off. So we hope for the best for Angela Salem. Same with Zerboni, but uh, was this Courage pride game other than a very nice memory for Kristen Hamilton and Sam Lishnak, was that anything to um, analyze, or was it just a pretty good team getting the best of a really bad team? Yeah, I, I don't think it was you were necessarily seeing the courage at their best. I don't think it's, you know, back to all things normal. I thought that Lynn Williams was particularly quiet in this match. Two in a row, but, so. Yeah, so, I, I mean, credit to Paul Riley. He came out with a different formation, which... It's got to be the first time in a long time. I don't remember the last time we didn't see that box midfield. Um, he, he played Zerboni almost as like a 10, which I didn't really agree with. Particularly, I, I still think there's a lot of holes in their defense. So I, I like her sitting deeper. But they the courage, well, the one thing the courage I thought did that they do so well is sort of multiply. Once they got that first goal, and it, was, it wasn't until the second half, which is the apparently the first half that Orlando's gone without giving up a goal all season. So I guess that's yep. progress. <laughs> I mean, it's something you got to your grasp at straws maybe, but it's something, but once they got that first one, you could just, it, it feels inevitable with the courage. And this is what that game kind of, so it was a little bit of vintage courage and that they kind of started to pile it on once they got that goal. But there was a while there. I was like, this may be headed for a zero zero game because it just, there's still a lot of, of holes in the Courage defense, as I said, but Orlando just is is incapable of taking any sort of advantage of it. See, incapable. I I don't know if I agree either with Zerboni 
up front, but I kind of understood Matthias moving into the midfield because that was a lacking area against the rain on Monday. And Matthias is a player that you can put with his lacking energy, and she will up the energy almost anywhere you put her. So I thought that idea was okay. You don't agree, I can tell. Yeah, I I just like her better wide. I thought she was pushed a little more central than I like her, but I agree on the energy part, but I, I just kind of like her better coming from a wide position. Is it also, is Hinkle's not having nearly as good a season and i don't understand that like that's got nothing to do with anything else like she's getting opportunities for free crosses and she's not making them well she was doing much better with that last night i will i will say that she was her service was i think she picked up at least one of the assists her service was quite good i don't think she's been as good but i think there were times last season when she was absolutely on fire and kind of like the courage as a team itself you can only sustain that for so long very Um, true so I don't think she's been bad. But I think we're just, she raised our expectations right. maybe and a little I, bit too much. And against the rain, she had the perfect cross for the assist. And about two minutes later, they ran the same exact play, and she hit the side of the net with it. So that's kind of that's I feel like that's kind of the type of season she's been having. And she's still almost impossible to beat around the corner, which is really what should be the first priority you would think for a defender. That's not right. always how all the coaches see it these days. <laughs> Um, and how did uh, Leishnack look? Um, she looked good. She looked, you know, kind of in the similar vein as to maybe Emily Boyd when she started out, just very calm, confident. Um, I mean, obviously, like I said, Orlando didn't really trouble her, but I thought she had a pretty good command of her box. And I know, you know, Monday, they played Monday, the, so go ahead. I was just, I, I just, I, there was one time when I thought Rachel Hill was, was going to break free, and she, Leshak was very, very quick off her line and just kind of smothered the ball at, at Hill's feet. Now, that was a really good, good move, and I think a lot of young keepers wouldn't have been so quick to make that move, but she just threw herself in there like a veteran. And, and they played Monday, so they've actually played twice since we last had a podcast, and Caitlin Rowland on Monday was hellacious. And I think she's really good. I think she's one of the best, if not the best, tactically and positionally in this league but she is i don't know if she's still injured paul riley kind of admitted in a story that rachel mccrigger wrote on our site that uh that roland told him that she's struggling a little bit mentally but she was so out of character on monday night because those weren't mistakes of rust i mean something's up yeah i think she's looked hesitant in every game she's played i think she's just not I don't know if it's, I think personally, I think they rushed her back from injury, maybe because of the timing with LeBay leaving. Um, I, I honestly, I kind of wonder if maybe they shouldn't have just gone with Lashnack to begin with to kind of get them through until Roland was completely ready. Cause she, to me, looks like a player who's, who's still carrying some sort of knock. Right. And you look at the first game, you know, Kerr slipped one in and she missed it. That can be rust and you haven't played in a while. The ball going wide on the Amy Rodriguez, that's kind of like, overturning the call in midfield if you're not going to play it it better go wide and then the rain game was just a complete mess so i can already hear that we're going to get complaints because we've talked about every team pretty much except for the one in first place the washington spirit and um i believe in the preview we did earlier in the season we got richie burke saying we're going to win the nwsl championship long way to go but i think they're a lot closer than anybody thought even people that thought they would be good I don't think thought they'd be 
sitting alone in first place at the World Cup break. Yeah, that is 100% correct. And I like what they do. They seem to have a tactical plan in each match. They seem to, you know, the rookies have been off the charts. Jordan DiBiase has been fabulous. Uh, you know, Staub's been pretty good in central defense. Bailey got a goal. Paige Nielsen came out of nowhere, makes some mistakes, but does some good recovery defending. Aubrey Bledsoe, who I was not on her bandwagon last year, but I'm on it now. I think she's much improved. Can't say a lot. You know, they're the only team to beat Portland. I mean, what else is there to say? But it's just nice to see a team that completely sleepwalked through last season playing with some energy. Yeah, I think the one the one caveat I'll say is that Bledsoe continues to lead the league in saves this season as she did last season. That's not really a stat you maybe want to have. Just that she's having right. to make so as, many as saves. A, as a team. As a team, yeah. For her, it's great. But I think she she'd like to not be on a highlight reel every week. But, so that's the one thing. But I think they're doing great things from top to bottom. But outside the two saves she made in Tacoma against the rain, I can't think of a lot of times where she's been completely hung out to dry and bailed the team out. Like she's re- like maybe maybe it's just that she's in better positioning this year. But I think that a lot of saves, but most of them kind of routine, and she doesn't give up rebounds. Yeah, maybe. I do think she's she pulls off one particularly athletic save about once a game. Um, but that, that gives credit to her defense, though, is they're forcing a lot of shots from outside the box, which tend to be a little bit easier for for those for her to grab. So so they are a little bit more routine. Um, yeah, I, I like Washington. I like Ashley Hatch. I think she's was someone I thought would have done better last year and kind of stagnated along with the rest of the team. And I think we're seeing her kind of get back to to where we know she can be. And I, I like Hatch a lot. Me too. And I thought she was pretty good last season, but she's not a, she's not Sam Kerr. Like she's not going to win you a game by, she needs help to be good. And I thought she was as good as she could be considering how poor her midfield was last season, which maybe isn't very good, but I thought she was pretty decent. But you know, our colleague Ray Curran tweeted hot take spirit or the best team in the league during the World Cup break, and my first thought was, eh, the Red Stars and, um, you know, maybe the Royals, and then uh, maybe? Maybe? What do you think? Um, I mean, Portland looks pretty good right now. Yeah, they do. It's going to go by the most recent game. Uh... Thorns beat them pretty handily, though. What you mean? I mean, Washington, the spirit, spirit, yeah. the, right? Spirit beats That's the thorns true. pretty handily. Maybe they are. I mean, they're in the top spot for a reason. I mean, I hope. I, I, I you know what? We talked about this, you and me, last night. Eventually, they're going to get beat badly, and then how do the rookies respond to that? How does the inexperience respond when some when they face you know adversity? But I just hope they have enough points that they can get to the end of the season and the Audi Field games and whatnot and be interesting and, and in the race whether they make the playoffs or not yeah you know before the season started we kind of talked about teams that would need to take advantage of this time to pick up points i think washington is one of those teams and i think they're executing that very well yeah absolutely um and one more thing before we end this segment speaking of good saves the reason the dash got a point was because that jane campbell save on the uh, fishlock free kick that's as good a save as you're going to see Oh, absolutely. I mean, with, with the wall right in front of her, so you, you can't really say she saw that coming, but I think she 
positioned herself well initially and and read it well and was athletic enough to make that I, I thought it was just outstanding yeah and I guess technically it could have been a little bit more over toward the corner but if you get a free kick and you get it on frame like that you can't ask for much more you see a lot of highlight reel saves where the keeper dives or falls down at the end or you know throws her hands up in the air after punching it out over the top but this that was a first class and then she showed a little while later why she's not a complete keeper because she got all mixed up with uh, Murray didn't play it back quickly enough, and then she Ooh, almost yeah. blew, the, blew the clearance, and that's that's Campbell's weakness. Yeah, but my favorite moment of that free kick was actually Fishlock's reaction because she couldn't believe that it didn't go in either. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. When you hit it like that, I mean, you you know. Yeah, she did almost, her she did her job for sure. You almost, almost deserved like half a goal oh, when you hit it that well. And we ought to mention that the no PK streak is still alive. Yeah, right? Huerta on Murphy. Mm-hmm. But I, how about Murphy's stretch? I like she had that post covered. I thought. I thought almost. Um, I think I think where to hit it with enough pace that Would've if it had just under. if it been on frame, I think it might have might have snuck in. But Murphy's what six? She's turned left tackle both like what six one? Like we finally have some. I think we talked about this in the broadcast. Finally have some super tall keepers in this league because most yeah. of them tend to hunt, hover just a little bit under that from yeah, five and, nine and, to six you know, five eleven mark. And you can see it. With you know, like Murphy just looking at her compared to the other players, you can absolutely tell that she's she's up there. And I think she's been she's been good so far, don't you think? Yes, yeah, I think she has been. Um, but yeah, I, we need to do I, or I need to do a little research to figure out what is like the world standard or even the MLS standard for converted PKs because it almost feels like in this league, if you're in trouble, take the player down because there's better chance they're going to finish it than they're going to make the PK. Yeah, it makes you hope the U.S. doesn't get any shootouts in the World Cup. Well, yeah, that's another story. We'll do a little World Cup. We'll do, we got a stat of the week, and we will uh, take your questions on Twitter. This is episode two, sorry, episode 62, segment two of the Equalizer podcast. Third and final segment of the Equalizer podcast and time for the sports reference stat of the week. And we talked a little bit about Sam Lisnack getting a clean sheet for the courage in her NWSL debut. Well, we went back and looked and she is the ninth goalkeeper to record a clean sheet in her NWSL debut. That includes going all the way back to 2013, where the only one to get one on opening weekend was Brittany Cameron of Sky Blue. Later on that season, Bianca Henninger. After that, Nadine Ongerer, Kelsey Weiss, Michelle Dalton, Caitlin Rowland, and Steph LeBay, who we also talked about in uh, the second segment, and Emily Boyd. And a little shout-out to Pamela Tonahar, who, for the Flash in 2013, played two minutes of the season. The only two minutes she played in the league. It was part of a joint shutout with Adriana French. They ran her out there for a couple minutes just to get her some game action. French played all the other minutes. So that is the Sports Reference Stat of the Week. And visit Sports Reference at fbref.com for uh, new and improved information all the time, statistically from the world of women's soccer. They've got some NWSL stuff. They've got some uh, World Cup stuff. As you may or may not know, the World Cup starts in a couple days. So that's fbref.com. My name is Dan. I am with Chelsea, and we've got some questions. So let's start off with um, 
MK wants to know, um, don't miss Bure, but what led to her being benched for game after game? Uh, we just talked her up, so now I guess we're talking about the downside. She's the one that came in for Salem. Um, I, I mean, I, I would imagine just squad rotation. I didn't see anything or hear anything specific. Did you? No, and I, I like Bure. I think she fits in well with this. So maybe just giving her a little bit of a, a break, knowing they're going to have to call on other players. Unfortunately, you know, we're, we're probably not going to see one of those, Angela Salem, for the rest of the season. But I, I think that Parsons rates her. I think he was just giving her a little bit of a break. All right, here is one that uh, will take an interesting route to the question. Giovanna Bembaum, Klopp became Liverpool coach in 2015. Only now he got a championship. That was the Champions League result over the weekend. I know that is a process. And Mark Skinner is having to deal with a lot of rookies because of the World Cup on the roster. But I think the girls are kind of lost on the pitch. Should he be replaced or is it too soon? If you listen to me enough, I don't call for coaches to be removed. Um, it's their job and their livelihood. And that's not my decision to make or influence. But the team is terrible. Now, he inherited a terrible team. I think there have been some signs that they're heading in the right direction for but the, like, you know, 40 minutes at a clip. Um, and the thing is that I don't think it's the rookies. They were about this bad when Marta and Morgan and Harris and Krieger were there. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think it's too early to call for anyone to be replaced. He hasn't had, hasn't been able to do much with this roster. As you said, he inherited it. I don't think they're any worse than they were under Sermani, um, toward, especially towards the end there. So the players seem to speak very highly of them, of him. I'd give him a little bit more time to at least make this roster what he wants. And they just signed somebody, I believe, and they tried to bring in a defender from Chelsea, and that didn't work out. The league got a little weird about that. So, yeah, you know, I think he, I think you almost always you need to give a coach more than one season because it's very difficult to get that roster the way you want in season one, right? Like Parsons went to Portland and they redid a lot of things and they won the Shields, but that's a rarity. And they were pretty, they had a pretty good roster to begin with. It just hadn't played well the year before. Uh, yeah, I think as long as your team is showing some signs of change and you're actively trying to do things a little bit differently, like he is, you know, bringing Claire Emsley, trying to bring in a center back for game blocked for whatever reason give them a little bit more of a chance. It's just going to be a long process. Uh, Jim Mashek is Simone Charlie or anyone else playing their way into Portland's top 18. Uh, I mean, based on what I saw against Chicago, Charlie's definitely in the 18 for the wrong long run, but don't underestimate how many talented players are gone from there. Tobin Heath, Christine Sinclair and Lindsay Horan alone probably are a playoff team. Yeah, I think that's the downside of, of Portland is they do have a really deep roster, a very good roster, and I think have exceeded some of our expectations. I think we thought they'd struggle a little bit more during this break, but you can only fit so many people on a roster. All right, Tristan says, I've thought if you shut down Rodriguez, you shut down Utah. Spirit center back studied hours of footage of her and Royals don't score. Other teams have managed this advantage of young players more mentally flexible, eager to learn, and not as set in style of play. Not quite sure what the question is, but um, I did think the Spirit did a good job in containing Rodriguez, but I thought they contained Rodriguez because they won the midfield, and I thought they won the midfield because the Royals were not playing hard enough in the midfield. I thought Gunny Yon's daughter had by far the worst game I've ever seen her have. 
there were tons of giveaways in the defensive third. So that was my take. I don't know if you have anything. I know you didn't focus on that game or if I have anything else to say, but that's about all I got there. Yeah, I, I don't think that the spirit doing well against Utah has anything to do with the young players being more flexible. I just think they came in with a very good game plan, executed it, and from what it sounds like, the Royals just weren't really themselves. All right, Jade Lorch fan says, maybe I should tag this as a question for the next Equalizer pod, and since that was a response to our own John Halloran, we'll read John's tweet and discuss. Chicago Red Stars have one of the best rosters in the league for this World Cup stretch and have been decidedly unimpressive for two straight weeks. They really need some of these players to step up. I guess we already mostly discussed it. Uh, Anybody in particular, though, stand out as being poor or ineffective or any area on the field that I found a lot, again, a lot of turnovers and bad spots tonight. The defensive midfield I thought was awful. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I can single out one player just because they were all with maybe the exception of Casey short, pretty poor. Like, I think this is a team effort, but, but as I said, I didn't think Vasconcelos or Johnson in particular were, were very threatening. So there's, there's that. And I think that, that Naughton and Gordon didn't have their communication and their spacing down as they should. Courtney Soden, is it the home stadium feel or is it their depth is just that good? Let's go Thorns FC. I definitely thought they were really happy to be there. I thought, I don't know if it was because we haven't seen a game from there in a long time, but I thought the crowd was even more energetic than usual for this particular game. Uh, But look, Charlie and Purse were outstanding. And then Marissa Everett comes in and scores a goal and maybe should have had a second one. So probably a combination of their depth is just that good, but their depth played just that good against the Red Stars. I agree with everything you just said. All right, a few minutes to go. World Cup begins on the weekend. Um, or actually, we will have another weekly pod before the U.S. actually plays. Um, but first question, let me put you right on the spot. Who starts in midfield? Uh, Ertz, Lavelle, and Mewis. I agree, which is probably not a good thing. I mean, it doesn't matter. But yeah, I think Mewis gets the nod over her hand. I don't know that they'll end the tournament like that. I think they'll start it like that. That's my two cents. Yeah, on I don't, that. I don't, I don't think you can argue with what Mewis did in the send-off series and the fact that they seem to be managing her hands minutes. Maybe they they swap it out, swap it out for that second group stage and kind of see, you know, because they're both both the first two games are pretty easy. Give Mewis the first one, give Haran the second, kind of let that be your decider for the third, maybe? I don't know. You think there will be mass change after the first? No. I think there should be. I don't think there will be. But won't be? Yeah. All right. Um, what's one thing you're looking forward to outside the U.S.? Um, England. I want to see what England can do. They just... Over the weekend, lost, I think, 1-0 to New Zealand. I think it was the first time they ever lost to New Zealand. So great for the football ferns to get get that one out. Great for the ferns to have that going into the World Cup. Not so great for England, but I I think there's talented rosters England's put together. So I'm curious to see see what they can do. There's some young players on that that squad that I I may not get a whole lot of playing time this time, but I think is going to set them up really well down the stretch. I would probably agree, but I'll try to go elsewhere. I'm, I'm losing my taste for Australia more and more all the time. I know I've been on like a two-year 
Australia can win the World Cup campaign, but I don't yeah, see it. Yeah, their defense is just... What was the score of their match again? Oh, it was bad. Yeah. I, I don't know the final, but it wasn't good. Yeah, and I think they had a closed door and lost that one too. With their, I think they rotated in other substitutes that didn't play. So it's it's not mm-hmm. looking good, unless we forget what the U.S. put five on them a couple months ago. Yeah, and we still don't really know what happened with the coach and whether or not that's impacting things. So, Yeah, that's a mess. And I'm going to say this, too. This is going to be a little controversial. Sam Kerr, in the biggest games of her career so far, hasn't been that good. Yeah, people don't want to admit that, but particularly I think on the international stage has not performed as consistently as she has for the club stage. And so I think that there's a lot of arguments and I think people tend to say, oh, it's because you're in the U.S. and you pay attention to Brussels versus, oh, you're in, the, in Europe and you pay attention to Champions League of, of whether or not she belongs in that top tier and should be included for the best player in the world and all those lists and think well this is 100% her opportunity to to set that record straight once and for all she's in the prime of her career she's in absolutely fantastic form has never been better no matter how far Australia gets because they at least should get into the knockout round at that point it's kind of a toss-up but they should they should get out of the group stage she needs to be on fire for every game and I think she'll kind of put that to rest once and for all I'm excited to see Estelle Johnson play for Cameroon because I think she's one of my absolute favorite league players ever. But I think they're in over their heads in the group with Canada, New Zealand, and the Netherlands. But why is nobody talking about the Netherlands after how good they were at the Euros? <laughs> you know, it's funny. They they were very good at the Euros. They did, again, just, just win over Australia. But... I don't know. I, I look at them and I say they're entertaining and they have their moments. I just don't know if I see... I think there's a couple of players that... Like, Mike Martins and Medima, I don't think you can shut down. But I think you can shut down um, Shanice Van Sanden and, and I think you can take away... If you just slow them down, I think you can do something against them. And I don't know that their defense is as good as it needs to be. And, I mean, you look back to, what was it, 2004, I think, when the Greek men came kind of out of nowhere and won the Euros. They won, like, every match, won nothing, and never really impacted any other big tournament again after that. So just because you win one doesn't mean you have to be good at another one. A couple more things here. Can Scotland make any noise? Like, are Little and Corsi and a couple of other players, I feel like they're in an interesting group. England and Japan are tough. They should beat Argentina handily. They, they could. They could sneak in. I think that they have more. You know, you have players like Caroline Ware, who are fantastic. Um, I think they could surprise people. I think, remember the U.S. playing them? I think they were very I organized. I was going to say, very organized and had a very, very specific organized. game plan and stuck to it. Yeah, and I think there's some players. I think the teams could sleep on them and maybe say, oh, well, shut down Kim Little and then you'll be good. And I think, like I said, like Ware, other players, they're – they could do some damage. Got also in that group, Japan, England. That's a rematch of the own goal game from the 2015 semifinal, which I was at. Well, Still one of the most stunning things I've ever seen. Hey, it happened. It happened. Did it not happen? It happened. I try to forget it. it. I'm telling you, I was there. I've never been so. I don't know how, the right word. I've never been so moved by 
something like that at an actual match or game of any kind ever in my life. It was it was something to see. But you know what? They all handled it pretty well. Mark Sampson, say what you will about how we left, handled that brilliantly. And uh, even Laura Bassett, I think, going forward, had some interesting perspective on it. Last thing. Uh, I arrive in France in time for this USA-France quarterfinal that I kind of think maybe France could get tripped up in the group stage if they're not playing that freely. I think we've seen, including the U.S. in 99, that hosting is not that easy. This team is absolutely talented enough to win this World Cup, but they're also um, possibly mentally weak enough to go out in the 16s or the quarters. What are we thinking about France? Mm, I think they're always like one Buhati screw-up away from falling apart, to be honest. It seems to never actually happen, though. Does it? Do you remember, were you watching in WPS when Jenny Branham was in goal for Sky Blue? I can't remember that long ago. She She was along the Buhati lines where she would just come out and play like 25 yards up and she would give up rebounds and then she would like take a cleat in the stomach and she would grab the ball and be down for like two minutes and you'd think for sure this is it. She's coming out of the game, her season's over, and then she would get up and do it again. And she never, in that magical run when they won the championship, she never made that fatal error. So I think Buhati maybe has that kind of World Cup in her. Maybe. I. Hmm. No, I, I think if they, they get on a good a good run. I think that they do well in the group stage and kind of get those initial hosting nerves out of it. I think they could go very deep. I, I think they've shown how, how they can do against the U.S. And No, I, I think they're going to have a good tournament. I feel good about them. So if they play the U.S. in that quarterfinal in Paris, and I was talking to someone recently about whether there would be more U.S. fans or French fans in the stadium, but how does that match go obviously not knowing how each team fares in the group stage france by the way has three legitimate games south korea norway nigeria the u.s has like maybe one and a half and but i think that's to their benefit i I think they do have a a tough group but i think that i'd rather have a tough group than coast through the group stage um especially we go on record well you don't have to go on record yet but i think the u.s is winning the world cup so i'm that I'm on record right there. U.S. wins the World Cup. No, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I'm not particularly confident in, in the U.S. defense. Okay. I think France could take that quarterfinal. All right. Well, I hope it happens because whoever's in that quarterfinal, I'll be there. So I hope it's USA <laughs> and France. And honestly, if it's one or the other, I'd prefer France because I'd like to see what it would be like to be at a France game in France. I've already seen the U.S. enough times. And maybe they'll be back for the semis and and final. All right, that's it for the Equalizer podcast. Uh, the NWSL is dark for one week. They are framing it as a World Cup break, but it's really just as similar as all the other FIFA breaks they've taken over the last few years. But Chelsea, enjoy the opening game. Hopefully you remember uh, that it's on. That's France and South Korea on Friday afternoon in the U.S. And we will talk to you next week on the Equalizer podcast. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough. And the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you. So you can always depend on us. Call. 
Clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.